This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, March 2nd, 2014. The Prodigal God. It's not an unusual story, is it? One child feeling that the parents give uh, more attention to a brother or sister or brothers or sisters. And yeah, sometimes it's not just a feeling. Perhaps they did get more attention. Uh, a lot of reasons. Maybe the child was uh, struggling with one thing or another. Maybe the parents were trying to help the child avoid some trouble. Maybe the child had health issues that required uh, the parents' attention uh, more to one child than another. Or here's the one we really don't want to consider, but maybe just flat out the parents just like that one kid more than the others. I'm just saying. In any case, it is difficult at times trying to be completely fair with all our kids. Can I get an amen to that? It's nearly impossible to treat all of our children absolutely equally. I'm cracking up because two of our kids are in the air, and they're all well, going like, Amen, yeah, amen. Yeah, we hear okay. it. We feel it. We know. All right, so but good morning. But all four of them say that. Yeah, know? they all, yeah. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. And I'm still Alan. <laughs> I hadn't changed since a few minutes ago. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. It's a day that you've made. It's no accident that any one of us are right here, right now, in this place, hearing this particular message, Lord. Use us as your vessels and reveal to us, God, the work that we've got to do inside our own selves, inside our own hearts. Transform us, Lord. We pray this in the name of your Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody here said, Amen. Mm. You know, we see a lot of sibling rivalry in the Bible, a lot of unequal treatment of kids at times. You know, right there from the beginning, Cain and Abel. I see it with uh, <coughs> Jacob and Esau. We we see uh, several places in the Bible siblings being treated differently. There's a really good story, one of my favorites actually, in the 15th chapter of the book of Luke, which is in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. The Bible tells us uh, at the beginning of this story, there's actually it's a three stories, two before the one we're going to talk about today, but Jesus is trying to make a point here. He's, he's teaching the tax collectors and the other sinners is what it says the tax collectors and other sinners when the people who were focused on on the rules and regulations the pharisees and the teachers of the law they muttered that this man jesus he welcomes sinners he even eats with them which was a no-no in their book and so he hears this jesus hears this and he says okay and he was so great at creating a story that absolutely fit the situation. So, so he shares a parable, a, a simple story crea- that's told in order to share a bigger truth. He shares this parable with them, with the Pharisees and scribes, the, the law people, to try to help them understand how this whole thing works and what's truly important in God's kingdom. So this is a story of a lost son. Jesus begins the story by saying, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
So he couldn't wait for his father to die to get his inheritance, to get his hands on the property. Kind of cracks me up because sometimes our kids are like, give me this, give me that when you're gone. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere yet. But no, they're anyway. not giving, it's just dibs. It's not giving, it's just dibs at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's just okay. dibs right now. It's so okay. his father did not make him wait. In fact, his father gave him his portion of the inheritance. He had divided it up between the two sons. We wonder if that's a good thing to do. You know, God giving us something uh, is, is always right, but sometimes we ask for things, and I'm really glad at times that God doesn't answer my wants or my needs because God has such a greater picture of truly what I need instead of just what I want. So the scripture tells us the father divided his property between the boys. He didn't just give the one son his share. He divided his property between the sons. And actually, if he held to what was common practice, the older son got two-thirds share. We don't know that, but that was common practice. Anyway, not long after, the younger son set off, it tells us, for the distant land. We often say he went to the far country. Uh, and what a great image that is, because the far country can be a, ooh, a wild and woolly place. And, and, and we see that because he squanders all of his money, all he got in wild living. And I guess each of us has a little different picture of that, but we'll just say wild living. That's what it says. Now, soon after, though, there was a severe famine in that land, throughout all land, and he ended up starving. He got so hungry that he finally went... <clears throat> and hired himself out to someone for the glorious job of slopping pigs. Not that that's a bad job if you're a pig slopper. I'm not trying to, but it's, you know, for somebody who wanted to go uh, out to the big time far country, and now he's in a pig pen. He was so hungry that he would have loved to have shared in some of the slop, but he wasn't even offered that. This young man who absolutely had it made at home, he made such bad choices down the road in that far country that he lost everything. He lost everything and ended up in a really, really bad place. How ironic for a Jewish young man to be in a plate, you know, Jews and pork, you know, they don't match. And so there he is in a pig pen just wanting some of the slop. His dreams remained unfulfilled. Maybe you've made some poor choices yourself. Mm. I know I have. Maybe you've been in that far country and you've been in that pig pen, so to speak. I know I have. Sometimes we don't make the best choices, that's for sure. And sometimes our choices lead us to a far country right to the pig pen. Mm. Scripture says, but then he came to his senses. I like the way the New Revised Standard Version puts it. It says, he came to himself. In other words, he came to realize who he was, who he really was, and what he really wanted, and, and what he must do to make that happen. He, he came to himself. He came to be the person that God intended him to be. He realized that his own father's servants were doing better than he was. The servants that he had 
They had food to spare while he's out there starving to death, hoping for a little pig slop. And so he made the tough decision to go back home. Remember that song during the offering, who says you can't go home? Well, he, says, you can, he said, I can go home, tough as it might have been, because you've got to swallow pride, don't you, when you go home. He went back on, and when he got there, he's practically thinking in his mind what, what he's going to say when he gets home. What he, uh, he's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So, so he got up and he headed home, and, and you can just picture him. Okay? I remember when I was a kid and I had to tell my dad something I'd done wrong, and I had to you know, apologize. I had to seek you know, redemption and before I told him, I'd over and over in my head, I had to rehearse just exactly what I was going to, anybody, am I hitting home here? Over and over and over. And just like this guy, I just see him walking home going, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. Father, uh, please forgive me. I've sinned over and over as he makes that long walk home. Have you ever been there? Mm. Have you ever been in that far country and come into yourself, had this realization that it was time to go home, that you weren't where you should be, that you weren't where you wanted to be, that you weren't where God wanted you to be. It's kind of like this aha moment, this, this moment of clarity that you need to make a change, you need to venture home. And so the boy is on his, I say boy, he's a young man, he's, you know, he's not a kid, but he's on his way home preparing for what he's going to say to the old man. And here's the incredible part. Scripture tells us that while he was still a long way off, still in the distance, his father saw him and was so filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. What a greeting. In Scripture, uh, we don't see this. We see that once, what I mean is, once the son left, we don't see the father like running, running, running to catch him. But we do get a sense that the father is constantly watching and waiting for his son to return home. Perhaps the father was out in the field overseeing his workers and every once in a while during the day he would just peer off into the distance hoping, hoping, hoping to see his son. That watchful eye and even though the son had in effect told his father, you're dead, I want you know everything that comes with you being dead. He took his inheritance ahead of time. It's kind of like he thumbed his nose at his father and the rest of his family. His father still hoped and longed for his son to come home. He kept this watchful eye, hoping, looking to the horizon, waiting patiently. Mm. And here's the part I get in my mind's eye of, um, of this picture. And I always have to laugh because remember, he's, the father's probably not wearing blue jeans or or a tracksuit, or, you know, sweatpants. Back then they wore those tunics, right? Like you've seen Jesus, those long, roby kind of looking things, Jesus and disciples. Can you picture the old man hiked in that thing up to about his knees and running down the driveway to see this kid? Isn't that hilarious? He looked ridiculous, wasn't he? But he doesn't care. 
He doesn't care how ridiculous. He's running down, and when he gets to him, throws his arms around him and gives him a, a, a kiss and, and, and just to let him know how much he loves him and how welcome home he is. And the boy starts with this long rehearsed apology. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father, it seems, isn't even tuned into that because he calls out to his servants and says, get a robe for him, give him a ring, slaughter the fatted calf, let's kill it for the party. We're having a party for my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he was found. Let the party begin. And you know, these are important things that we don't want to easily overlook. The robe, bring him a robe. The robe was a symbol of honor. Not everybody got a robe. The robe, honor, the ring, maybe a signet ring, maybe the family crest on there, you know. Uh, it's a symbol of, uh, of authority. A, a person giving a signet ring to another, uh, in effect, gives him power of attorney back then. Um, the sandals, uh, he called for sandals for the boy's feet. Servants don't wear sandals. They go barefoot. The sandals represented your family. You're not going to be one of my hired hand. You're family, man. You're back in the family. Family, you know, it's, all these things are representative. Family members, you're a family member. There's signs of freedom. There's signs of acceptance back into the fold. Signs of respect and honor. All for the one. All for the one who'd run away and made some really bad choices, but then came home. Well, the story doesn't end there. Remember, we said in the beginning there were two sons. So the older brother, <laughs> the oldest son, was out in the field working. And as he came close to the house, he heard the celebration, he heard the music, he heard the dancing, and he asked the servant what was going on. And the servant said, your brother's home, your dad's throwing a party for him. Well, the older brother got mad, and he refused to go inside the house. <laughs> Dad came out, pleaded with him, come on in. And the older brother, the, the son said, no way, I'm not going in there. And he shared with his father that for all these years, he had been working hard. He was by his side. He had done the right thing. I'm elaborating a little bit, but you get the message. He had not disobeyed. He didn't run away. He didn't ask for the inheritance. He was right there. You didn't even throw me a party for my friends. Kind of have to wonder with that attitude if he even had friends. But anyway, he told his father that his brother, his little brother, ran off, blew all the money on prostitutes. Now, we didn't read that before, except maybe that was the wild living part. And um, anyway... <laughs> The father tries to explain that to his oldest son that he's always with him. He's always there. And they needed to celebrate that the younger son was home. Be glad, for his brother was dead and now alive. His younger brother was lost, but now found. Mm. So this story we usually refer to, most, many of you have heard this story, we know. And it's usually referred to by the name of the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah. You know, though, it could just as easily be called the parable of the self-righteous brother. 
We could. Because we need to remember why Jesus is telling us. He's telling it to the guys, the legal guys who are very self-righteous. They're the brother. They're the older brother. He's, that, he's trying to make a point with them. And remember back at the beginning, Jesus said, there once was a man who had two sons, not just one, two. And so it's as much about the older brother, if not more so, than about the younger one. Um, as it shows that righteous people, especially self-righteous people, easily need a Savior as much or maybe even more so than, 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 than the ones who go to the far country but often don't realize it like those others might. Huh? And the other thing is, most of us see ourselves in one of those two characters. Uh, younger brother, far country, come home, forgiven, or the self-righteous older brother who's always doing the right thing, you know, but doesn't get the part, you know. You know, we usually see ourselves, I, I, I hate to admit, I'm the older brother. I'm not an older brother. Oh, I am I, in the middle, but I'm the middle brother. But, um, you know, wondering why the one who hasn't done what was right gets the party. Well, then I have to give myself a little party, a pity party, wondering all the while, what about me? Well, I see some head nods. I see some older brothers, you know. Yeah, what about me? <laughs> so Go let's make this um, story personal. <laughs> I really um, had hoped I didn't have to share this quite yet because it's very fresh for me. As uh, many of you know, uh, my mom uh, lived with us for five months and I cared for her, we cared for her in our home at the end of her life. And I realized one day, I. I I know the day, it was a Wednesday, there's a play-by-play -play that goes on in my head a lot of days on this particular Wednesday. And I realized the moment when I knew that mom was gonna die. And I called my brothers and I called my sister and I said, it is time to come home now. And so that was in the middle of the day and they were all home by the end of the day by the dark, sister from northern New Jersey, a brother from Rhode Island, a brother from North Carolina. We had a great meal together, you know, it was a very celebratory thing, you know, spaghetti, it was great, we're all hanging out, mom was at the table with us, laughing and having a great time. And then it was time for her to go in and I, for five months, put her to bed. We had this routine. And so this time, I had my brothers and my sister with me. And so we're in her room and we're surrounding her bed and mom is just so happy. There was so much joy because she was like excited that all of her kids, well most of them, there was one that wasn't able to get home yet, they were there. And so she was making a really big deal over Laura, over Skip, and over, Jeff, you're home. Oh, I love you so much. This is great. Which three hours before she said, Carrie, Karen, Elizabeth, why did you call them to come home? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I mean, it was this scene. And I'm at the end of her bed with her medicine, 
getting ready to tuck her in, doing the thing that I've done every single night for five months, and I'm watching her make a really big deal <laughs> about my siblings. I'm the oldest, about my siblings who had come home. <laughs> so I had a moment where I felt some ugliness inside. It's like, wait a minute, to myself, I didn't say this. Wait a minute, I'm the one that was there. I'm the one that's been doing everything. You're making a big deal about them. What about me? What about me, Mom? What about me? Didn't say it, but I did say it to him. She said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know this story about the prodigal son. And I knew at that moment that I was the older brother, I was the older sister, having a pity party. Because what I realized, and what I knew, is that I was always with her. I got to do the coffee in the morning, and the talking through the day, and the everything else for five months, and my siblings did not. And so she felt at that time that she didn't need to make a big deal about me. I wish <laughs> she had, but she didn't. <laughs> Would have been nice. <laughs> but in the end, I know deep down that we, always, we were always together, and we had that bond. Mm. That was a bit different than the other three. Mm. And so I can relate to this story on a very personal basis, and I knew at the time I was going to have to share it. I just didn't know it was going to be three months later. Mm. So. Yeah, the older sister both literally and figuratively right. in that story. Now this word prodigal, anybody use that word this week? I know Barry. <laughs> it's, not, it's not more in most of our everyday vocabularies, is it? Oh, the prodigal. We usually use it in reference to this story, right? The prodigal son. And, and you go, what does that word even mean? Does it mean the son who went off and had wild living and was, you know, what, what does it mean? Well, I often thought it was uh, someone who just does crazy things or does what he's not supposed to. But if you look in the dictionary definition, um, prodigal means recklessly spendthrift. Recklessly spendthrift. You know, he was wastefully spendthrift as he went through all the money he had spending it on uh, uh, wild living uh, like there was no tomorrow until he had nothing left. With this definition in mind, Perhaps a better title for this story then would be um, The Prodigal Father. The Prodigal Father. As Tim Keller, who's a writer and a, and a pastor, says, he says, the father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his sin against him or demand repayment. He just welcomed him recklessly. Wow. So this story that Jesus shared, um, the boy's father represents our heavenly father. Perhaps then this story should be called the prodigal God. The prodigal God, because it is God and it is God alone who is so lavish with us as his children. So lavish, recklessly so, that he, he wanted us to know in he sent his one and only son to the cross. He sacrificed his son. That's how lavish 
His love was for you and for me so that we could know, experience forgiveness, experience new life, experience peace and compassion and mercy when we accept, accept the gift that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to be the savior of the world. That's you and me came to be our savior. So lavish, so reckless. Do you know that there's nothing that you've done that God can't forgive? God will never let you go. We're the one that moves. God will, you, you are never out of God's grip. That's reckless, lavish love. That's what we're talking about today. And once we claim that love, receive that love as a gift, there's nothing we can do to, to get it. I can't be good enough, obedient enough. I don't deserve the kind of love that God pours out on me. But once we receive that as a gift, then we get to share that kind of love with others, to reach out to the lost and the least. That's what God calls us to do. And so, as we embrace this, this offer that God gives us, uh, the power, we talked about Holy Spirit power last week, the power to forgive, his power that saves us, his power that makes us new, whatever we've done, whatever we've said, wherever we go, God is a prodigal God. The prodigal God, that's who we worship today and every day. The lavish, reckless in love, I will do anything to get your attention kind of God to let you know just how much he loves you. Prodigal God, recklessly spendthrift for you and for me. That's my God. How about you? Is that your God? We hope so. We pray so. So that together we can experience that powerful love and then share it with others. Mm. Prodigal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Prodigal Father, Prodigal Son, Prodigal Holy Spirit. Prodigal Father recklessly offering us the life of his very Son so that we might live through eternity. The Son, a prodigal, Recklessly spendthrift, giving his very life on a cross. Holy Spirit, recklessly spendthrift, sharing God's power to forgive with us so that we might be able to forgive as God does. Wow, prodigal God. We get to remember and focus on prodigal God here in this uh, sacrament, this holy moment that we call Holy Communion. Notice that word communion. Commune means to share with one another, and we get to share not only with one another, but share in the person of Jesus Christ as he calls us, as he called his disciples on that last supper he had with them to a remembrance, a time to remember, to remember how spendthrift he is, to remember the prodigal, to remember that he gave it all so that we might be able to live through eternity. He took the bread of that supper that night, 
and he gave thanks to God the Father. And he broke the bread, and he offered it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat. When you do this, remember me. And after supper, he took the cup, the fruit of the vine. He gave thanks to God the Father. And then he again offered it to his disciples as he offers it to you. And he said, this is the new covenant. It's a new deal. My blood, I offer it to you. Take, drink. Whenever you do this, remember me. Remember, make me a part of your gathering, not just here and now, but always and forever. Remember as we commune with one another and with Jesus through God's Holy Spirit. Before we do that, though, you know, we're invited while we're yet sinners to the table, but we need to talk to God about the junk that's getting in our way of being able to just freely accept what God has to give because we've got a lot of junk, a lot of sin in our lives. We need to seek God's um, forgiveness, repentance, which means going a new direction as we talk to God about the junk. I'll open the prayer, and then you can talk to God on your own. Let's pray. Holy God, uh, you invite us to the table while we're yet sinners, but we need to talk about to you about that sin. Please, uh, please help us to, to share with you so that we might get that out of the way so we can fully realize what you have to offer. Please hear our prayers. Hear the good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Holy Spirit, bless these gifts of bread and juice. They are a means of grace, an opening to your love. Thank you for these symbols that nourish us spiritually. Holy Spirit, bless these gifts of bread and juice. May they be for us, your body and blood a sign of your redemption, that we are indeed redeemed. We thank you and praise you today and all days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at connectioncc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash connection cc you can also contact our church office at 302-378-7692 connection community church connecting people with jesus and the life he offers